1 Peter chapter 2, 1 Peter chapter 2, we are in a mini-series that we're going to wrap up today entitled Growth. Next week, we begin the book of Nehemiah, so I hope you'll and have been reading the book of Nehemiah because we're going to walk through Nehemiah chapter by chapter until Advent, this first week in December. So I hope you'll begin familiarizing yourself with Nehemiah, but today, 1 Peter chapter 2. Now friends, growing, growing is a part of living. Anything that has life, we expect it to grow. It's certainly true in humanity. So when male seminal fluid fertilizes a female egg, it creates a single 46 chromosome cell called a zygote. Notice here on the screen, forms a zygote. And that zygote divides and multiplies. And then that zygote, that, that conglomeration, implants into the uterine wall and continues to grow and grow and grow. And for the next 15 days, it will grow and grow and grow until it becomes an embryo. And over those next six weeks, as an embryo, limbs develop, a brain develops, vertebrae develops, eyes, nose, all the faculties begin to come together. By week 10, the embryo transitions into a fetus, and that little baby grows in the womb daily. It's being fed by the placenta, and it's getting life, blood from the umbilical cord from its mom. And typically, by week 36, the baby's ready to come out. The baby's ready to be delivered. But once the baby is delivered, life is not over, for it has just begun. And a whole new set of growth begins to take place. And, and look at this next picture here. Infancy to toddler to childhood to adolescent to adulthood to middle age to senior adult. Now, somewhere in a person's 20s, somewhere in a person's 20s, you're going to peak out. So if you're below that, this station, you've not reached your peak yet. But if you're about 29, 30, 31, the peak of your body physically, you, you've, you, you, you peaked out. So when it comes to cardiac function, it's as strong as it's ever going to be when you're somewhere in those 20s. When it comes to your muscle strength, your sensory abilities, your ability to see things and, and move and pivot and function, your brain, the ability to have multitasking going on, and you're able to do this and do this and do this and do this and do that. In your mid-20s, you reach the peak of that, and from there, you slowly begin to decline. Spiritual life has a lot of similarities in what I call the spiritual gestation period. There's a spiritual gestation period that you went through before you became a believer. A person or a sinner will hear the truth of the gospel. That gospel seed goes into some kind of soil. Could be hard soil, could be good soil. But either way, that seed of the gospel enters, you hear it with your ears, it goes into your mind, and it is sitting there, 
and if it hits good soil, then the Spirit of God has readied your heart so that the seed will now begin to germinate, and the Holy Spirit in that process begins to convict you of sin, begins to put a desire in you for things of eternity, begins to convince you of the fact that eternity is waiting and you're going to spend eternity in heaven or hell, all that is taking place as the seed of the gospel has now come in. At some point in the process, regeneration takes place. That's a fancy word for being born again. At some point, that seed hit a soil, you were convicted, God is holy, I'm a sinner, only Jesus can save me, and you are just like that. Your eyes are open, scales are off, you see the kingdom, and you're like, I, 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 wanna, I want Jesus. And watch this now. In that moment, your will gets freed. Before that, your will is not free. Your will is in bondage to sin. So your will has to be freed so that you can choose Christ. So that with your own volition, you would say, I see him, I want him, I need him, I receive him. You can't do that unless you're born again. Because you have no eyes to see, you have no heart to obey. But once the birth takes place, now the growth begins. And unlike the physical realm, you don't peak out in your 20s. I've been following Jesus for 27 years. And I don't know how long you've been following Jesus, but unlike the physical realm, you don't peak out at a certain point and think, well, I'm good now on growth. I don't need to grow anymore. I'm good now. No, the desire of God is that now that you're a follower of Jesus, now that you're a believer, that in your 50s and your 60s and your 70s and your 80s and your 90s, and if God wills your 101 or two, you should be more like Jesus than when you first began the journey. In other words, you never retire from growth. You never retire from growth. But here's the key to growth. The key to growth is dependent upon nutrition. What you allow to come in your body physically, you are what you eat. You are what you eat. What you allow to go in your mouth, what foods you put in your mouth, they go in your belly. And the lack of nutrients or the nutrients that are there either help your body get more fit or they tear it down. So you are what you eat, so be careful what you put in your mouth because it is developing you physically into certain ways. But spiritually, this is also true, that what you allow your eyes to see, your ears to hear, the Word of God, anybody who claims to speak on behalf of God, what you allow to go in here, it will begin to devolve you or it will begin to grow you. But either way, you are going to be very dependent on the nutrition that you put inside your body on a physical level, but also on a spiritual level. And so as we wrap this series out, I want to go back to a really foundational text that you're probably familiar with if you've been around the Bible much, and if not, that's okay. But I, I want us to see a four things here today, four things briefly about growth from a personal standpoint personal standpoint. So, the nutrition that you're putting in your body. I want you to notice 
1 Peter chapter 2, on the screen, verses 1 to 3, Peter says, So put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander, verse 2, like newborn infants, long for the pure spiritual milk, that by it you may grow up into salvation if or because you have tasted that the Lord is good. First point I want you to see that in order for you to not stunt your growth, poison your growth, stall out your growth, is you've got to put away sins. Putting away sins. That's the first blank. Putting away sins. Notice again, so put away the, the, word tra- the transitional word here, or the pivot word, so. So points back to what just was written. You could also put the word therefore here, or so them, as the basis for what Peter has already told these Christians. These Christians who were under persecution, these Christians who were spread all throughout Asia Minor, he says about them in chapter 1, verses 1 to 3, that they are the elect of God by knowledge of God the Father, by the sanctifying of the Holy Spirit, by the obedience of Jesus Christ on their behalf. That's who they are. And then he says in chapter 1, verses 4 to 5, that it is God. It is God who caused them. Go read that. It is God who caused them to be born again to a living hope, and that their salvation is being protected by God. You don't get saved and then guard it by being a good boy or a good girl. You get saved, God protects your salvation, you persevere on your side, He preserves you on His side. His preservation of you should drive your persevering on your side. And that's what He says here in verses 6 to 9, that these folks are being distressed by various trials. And He says, you're proving the genuineness of your faith because it's getting hot in the trials you're going through, and you're not turning your back on the Lord. You're actually going deeper. Your faith is being tested. Just like Michael said, his trials are building him up. As gold is refined by fire, Peter says, listen, you guys are being refined. It's hard right now. It's difficult right now. But listen, God is in you. He's protecting you. He's preserving you. He's strengthening you. So just keep your eyes on him. And then verses 13 to 21, he says that since you're remaining steadfast, be holy as He is holy. Live a life of holiness to God. And then finally, 22 to 25, He says that you have been born again by the imperishable Word, and therefore you should demonstrate your faith in your fervent love for your brothers and sisters in Christ. And then chapter 2, verse 1, so. So. In other words, therefore, so. Uh, Notice the verb here, put away, put away. It it sounds like a command, all right? It sounds like he's saying put away, but it's actually a declarative statement. It's actually Peter saying, since everything in chapter 1 is true of you, put away. In other words, keep putting away. Keep putting away certain sins in your life because you're born again, because you have a faith protected by God, so on and so forth. And then he lists here five relational sins or horizontal sins that's going to poison their growth individually. It's going to hurt their fellowship collectively. So notice these five sins. First of all, malice. Malice. 
Now, another term for malice is ill intent, ill intent, or evil intentions. I think a, 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 maybe the best rendering of this word would be animosity, would be an ungodly attitude. Jesus said, out of the abundance of your heart, your mouth leaks. Every time you talk, your mouth is leaking. I mean, sorry, every time you talk, your heart is leaking. In other words, what's in there? What's in there? If you give it time and you don't deal with those ungodly thought patterns that sometimes you kind of pet and you kind of coddle toward people, toward God, toward whatever's ungodly, that if you don't deal with that, if you don't confess that, if you don't say, God, help me with that, then out of the overflow of being in a tough situation, you're going to leak. You cannot, you can only suppress it for so long. This is really talking about the internal attitude, and Peter says, listen, you got to put it away. you got to realize that your thinking, your ill thinking, it's going to get out. Deal with it. Right in your margin, Romans 6.12, this is where Paul says, don't let sin reign in your mortal body. Don't let it hang out in there. Don't let it reign. You, 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 raise your hand if you've ever had an ungodly thought. All right, now let's get more specific. Raise your hand if you had an ungodly thought this week. Raise your hand. All right, raise your hand if you had an ungodly thought yesterday. All right, raise your hand if you have an ungodly thought today. So you can, you can either harbor that, you can marinate on that, you can let rain in you, or you can kill it, mortify it, and say, God, I ought not think that way about that person. I ought not think that way about that situation, and you mortify it. So don't let it rain in you. A lot of us just think about stuff that it's ungodly, and we justify it, we don't deal with it, and he says malice, put it away. Second of all, deceit. Now, the word literally means bait a hook, bait a hook. So, Peter was a fisherman, so he understood this. But I want you to think about this, you fishermen. Fisher, fishing is really deception, is it not? Fishing is really deception. You're hiding a hook inside an appetizing meal, hoping that a little fish will come by, not knowing there's a hook in there. He'll think, there's my meal, when in fact, you want him as a meal. It's called deception. You've deceived the fish into thinking something that is just not reality. And for you to deceive someone would be, in, in, in much the same way, it would be to omit truth in order to get your way or gain personal advantage or make yourself look better or skirting the truth or not giving the full details to put yourself up to make somebody else look down. That would be deceiving, deceiving. Third of all, hypocrisy. Literally means to wear a mask. This comes from the Greek theater. So the actors in the Greek plays would have a number of masks they could choose from. They were on a stick, and, on a, and they would draw on parchment a smiley face, a grin, a laughing face, and whatever part they needed to play, they grabbed that and stuck it in front of them. So they played the part. And hypocrisy is playing a part that you're really not. Playing, it's, 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 it's trying, it's not, it's not fully giving the reality that I mess up, 
I am, I struggle with things. It, 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 it's a mindset that goes around wanting everyone to think that you have it all together when nobody has it all together. See, God doesn't save us as we are. You'll hear this, statements like this, Facebook, Instagram stuff. God saves us as we are. No, He doesn't. He saves us in spite of how we are and then makes us into who He wants us to be. So, when He saves you in spite of you, He remakes you and me in who He wants you to be. And one of the most beautiful things that you can do is begin to invite people into the struggle of, I'm not where I need to be, but I need help. And that's why we do confession during service, because we don't want anybody to ever think that they don't have something they should be coming before God with, and not come here with a mask on and playing the part, and you're being hypocritical. Fourth of all, envy. Envy, envy is jealousy. Watch this now. Envy is jealousy at the success, or other, uh, at the success of others, or joy at the misfortune of others. Let me say that again. Envy is jealousy at the success of others or joy at the misfortune of others. It's when somebody gets a promotion or someone gets recognized or someone gets spotlighted and you get envious. See, pride and envy go together because pride wants to be noticed. Pride wants to be made a big deal of. Pride wants them to say, you're going to let them recognize them and look what you've been doing behind the scenes and nobody, 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 nobody ever gives you any kind of accolades. And pride says, don't put up with that. Leave that church. Do this, do this. Leave that relationship. Do this, do that. See, that envy, you, 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 you got to put it away because it will poison your walk with God and it will hurt fellowship. Finally, he says slander. Now, you need to write this down, okay? Because let me tell you something. You slander way more than you think you do. Let me tell you what slander is. Slander is when you share anything about anybody with the intent to make them look bad. Slander is when you share anything about anybody, and it's to make, it's, it's to make them look bad in the eyes of the person you're talking to. So has anybody slandered this week? So slander is a big deal. And so he says these things, they shouldn't mark you as a child of God. You've been transformed by the Holy Spirit. So sometimes slander can come through facial expressions. Sometimes slander can come through, quote, joking. I know a lot of people who have a sense of humor who have no sense of how to use humor. They have a really good sense of humor, but they have no sense of how to use their humor because they use their humor to hurt people and passive-aggressively put people down. It's called slander. See, we're to be marked differently, so we've got to put away these sins. Second of all, he says long, longing for the Word. Notice he says in verse 2, the first part, like newborn infants, long, man, underline that word, long for the pure spiritual milk. You know when the highest rate of human development is? Infancy. Babies change very quickly. 
A baby's length in the first five months increases 30%, in the first 12 months increases 50 to 75%, and there's a reason why babies increase in size so much. You know why? Because they eat a lot. They eat a lot of milk, and milk has serious nutrients in it, and those nutrients go in that beautiful little baby and begin to make their muscles develop and their DHA levels and their brain level, and they're just they're like, a, like a tree in a greenhouse because those nutrients that are being put in them are just causing them to grow. And Peter says here, keep that in mind when you think about your growth in Christ. You should be like a newborn baby. Now, he's not saying here, stay a baby Christian. And he's not saying here to these Christians, you're a bunch of babies, grow up. His point is, from the analogy standpoint, your desire for the Word of God should be like a baby craves its mama's milk. Now, what's interesting here, when it says long, that's a command, command. Now, let me ask you this question. Can you make yourself long for God's Word? Like on your own, on your own. If this is a command that you're supposed to be longing for the Word of God, I I desire the Word of God, can you make yourself crave what you know that you should crave? I'll answer for you, no. You can't. This is what Augustine said. He said, God, command what you will and grant what you command. Grant what you will and grant what you… In other words, the desire and the longing for the Word that you'll have in your life is not because you work real hard at it and say, come on, self, get excited about the Bible. Come on, self, be more excited about the Bible than you are about the Browns, the Cowboys, or whatever, the Steelers, the Bills. Missing anybody? The Bears. Be more excited about… No, you can't do that, but what you can do is you can say, God, Would you give me a hunger and a craving for your word? You know, there's seasons in my life where I read the Bible because I'm a doer by nature, but I'm not always longing for it as I should. And I'm telling you, it's a normal prayer request. God, help me crave your word. He will answer that. He will make you crave that which you cannot make yourself crave. So this is a command. But it's not a command to pull your bootstraps up. It's a command to go to God in prayer and ask Him to command what He wills in your life. I want you to notice, He doesn't say read the Word. He doesn't say meditate on the Word. He doesn't say memorize the Word. He doesn't say study the Word. Notice for Peter, it's something more foundational, more elementary. It starts with your desire. Because if you desire God's Word, you'll get in God's Word. And if you get in God's Word, you'll meditate on God's Word. And if you meditate, you'll study. And if you study, you'll memorize. And if you memorize, you'll know it. But if you don't desire it, you'll never do those things. At least you won't do them the way in which God designed them to be done. Again, you could be a doer and your heart be disconnected and you're just checking off. Oh, did my Bible reading plan today? Check. But there's not a longing in you to please God, to love God, to want to be with Him. Growth is directly proportionate to desire. This Greek word here for long is vigorous, passionate, intense yearning. I told you last week, you know, when you see a baby, they've always got their, their mouth open when they're hungry, and they start screaming relentlessly when you don't meet their need, right? I've never seen a mom, when their baby or dad, is baby is screaming for milk, just say, sit back and say, that's such a cute scream. You get the milk. 
You get the milk and you put the food where the noise is coming from, right? And it solves the hunger. And, and this is why when you go to churches, hear me, when you go to churches and they're not preaching the Bible, people start screaming that are real believers. They start screaming like babies crying who want milk, but the preacher wants to give stories or whatever, but he's not giving them the Word of God. And they're hungry, and they begin to throw a fit. And sometimes they say, I'm going somewhere where I can get some milk because I'm hungry for the Word. So growth is proportionate to desire. So picture this in your mind. If you saw a full-grown adult in diapers with a binky and a rattle, wouldn't that be sad? If you saw a 45-year-old man with his banky, his pacifier, and his favorite teddy bear, that would be sad because he hasn't grown. He's still thinking like a child. Nothing wrong with having your favorite blanket, by the way. Some of you adults, you ever, that's okay, but you get what I'm saying. So I want you to look at your life right now. Are you still in diapers when you should be walking? Are you playing in the nursery with the toddlers right now? And you should be in sixth grade. Are you in sixth grade and you should be in college, friend? But because you're just comfortable with where you're at, and you're not longing for the milk of God's Word, your prayer today would speak, God, help me long for your Word, because it is proportionate to if you're going to grow or not. Another exercise, people that really love you, ask them this week, am I growing? Do you see spiritual growth in my life? Don't just ask people that will tell you what you want to hear. Ask people that will actually, they got a radar on you, and they love you, and they're not trying to find you slipping up, but they also know that you want them to help them grow. And ask them, do you see growth in my life? And the third application is you need to thank God for how far he's brought you. You need to thank God. You need to stop and smell the spiritual roses often and just say, Lord, thank you for where you've brought me. Thank you that I used to think this and this and this, and you've changed everything about me. But that is directly dependent on how much you crave the Word because you are what you eat. Notice he calls it pure spiritual milk. So it's, it's not diluted. It's not contaminated. See, the, 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 the spiritual life, new life in a Christian, is what compels them to want, want the Word. It's, 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 it's in the new nature. It's in the new DNA to want the Word. Now, some people, after they come to Christ, I've known you know, that week, I had one guy come to Christ one time, and, and he left that week. I met with him the next week, and he was kind of an academic, but he read the whole Bible that week. He read the whole Bible. He came back, and he said, I read the whole Bible because he said, I just couldn't get enough of it. I just couldn't put it down. Now, you may say that's kind of extreme, and, and maybe it is, but there's some people that really have that insatiable desire to just read the whole thing. But I'm going to tell you something. You may not read the whole Bible the first week of your salvation, but let me tell you something. There, there should be a longing in you. I get really nervous when I hear people that say they're believers, and when I talk to them about the Bible, they're like, well, that's boring. I'm, I'm nervous about that. Nervous about that. Because 
just like baby, some babies you have to teach how to eat, right? How many of you had a baby that just didn't eat very well? So you had to help them get their mouth on certain places and help them get adjusted. But they, the desire was there. They just need a little bit of help, right, to, get, to get, get things going. Some believers are like that. They come out of some really, they have no spiritual background, no church background. They don't know anything about anything. So you're going to have to, we're going to have to really work with them, help them get the, get the nozzle in their mouth. Help them read the Bible. Help other people have a church background, and they were just religious, and they were looking for that to save them. So they know all the facts. Their hearts just hadn't been changed. But when their heart gets changed, now they take all the principles they knew, and they've been kind of, there's new life to them. But either way, there should be desire in a child of God's heart for the Word of God. It's something God creates. Third of all, when you do that, you'll grow in salvation. Notice that you may grow up. A child feeds on milk, he grows a Christian feeds on God's Word, he grows. The reference to salvation here, by the way, is not read the Bible enough and you'll get saved. The reference here is that all the qualities in chapter 1, those began to be a part of your life going forward. Salvation is three tenses. You were saved, you are being saved, and one day you will be saved. The power or the, 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 the penalty of sin, the wrath of God, You've been safe on the wrath of God, the power of sin. You don't ha have to say yes anymore to that which used to plague you. And one day you'll be delivered from the very presence of sin. So you're growing up in salvation, in time, as you wait. You're learning how to walk with God better. And, and you love it. You know, I think about kids that love to grow. How many of you love telling your mom or dad, will you measure me? Will you measure me? Will you measure me? In our house right now, and we bought our house from the Shanfels. They still have all these marks from their kids and the dates. And Eden and Theo are the same way. Dad, will you measure me? Will you measure me? And we have little marks now. That's how you should be when it comes to your walk with God. God, I'm so glad I'm growing. I'm excited to grow. That, that, that should mark us. Finally, he says to taste God's kindness. Tasting God's kindness. Notice verse 3. If indeed or because you have tasted that the Lord it's good. The entire passage is built on if, if, or because. So since you've tasted, the Lord here would be Jesus, by the way. Since you've tasted the Lord Jesus, since you've tasted the salvation that he's given you, uh, write Psalm 34, 8 in your margin. Remember, the psalmist says, come taste and see that the Lord is good. So let me ask you this by way of closing and by way of application. Have you tasted the kindness of the Lord? Have you? Have you tasted the kindness of the Lord? Has there been that moment in that gestation process where your eyes were open? Like Mike said, he was at this service and the, the Word of God hit him and the weight of his sin fell upon him and he saw the beauty of Jesus and he called upon the name of the Lord and was saved. That's what I'm talking about. Have you experienced the kindness of of the Lord Jesus. I want to tell you something. Once you get a taste of Jesus, you'll want to come back for seconds and thirds and fourths and fifths and sixths and seventh to beyond. The Lord tastes so much better than sin. The Lord tastes so much better than anything this world can offer you. I've got to tell you something. I am hooked on Jesus. Anybody else? I'm hooked on him. I mean, I'm obsessed with the Lord Jesus. I am. And it's because God has produced this in me He's produced it in us, and so I, I pray that this week you would put away certain sins as listed. You would ask the Lord for a longing for His Word, that you would grow in sanctification, 
and that you would keep feasting on God's kindness towards you in the gospel. Father, we want to thank you for these realities. And Lord, we thank you that right now as your children that we are seated in heaven with you, Lord Jesus. We thank you that our life is in your hands. We thank you that you caused us to be born again. We thank you that growth is directly connected to our desire for you and your word. And Lord, I pray that you would increase our desire, increase our appetite for your word, O oh God. I pray if there's someone here today and God, they've never felt the weight of their own sin before you. God, would you show them, would you cause them to be born again? Would you bring them to a place at the end where they would come and speak with me or speak with someone and say, I sense the kindness of God and I want more. Lord, we pray that we would see more and more salvations. We would continue to see these baptismal waters stirring. And Lord, that you would help us, all of us, to realize that we're not where we were, but we're also not where we should be in our growth. So would you give us wisdom on the path to more maturation and more growth in Christ? We pray it, Father, in his precious name. Would you stand with me as we sing?